Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, that's all of us. Ever shout all of us? All Turn to your neighbor and say, that's you? that's you? Turn back to them and say, that's you too. <laughs> Therefore, brothers and sisters, I want you to see this. In view. So there's a compare and contrast that Paul's launching into straight out the gate. He says, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you. Other translations of this word would bring, would bring some power to this word urge. He, he say, I'm pleading with you. I, I'm needing you to get this. I'm, I'm urging you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Notice he doesn't launch into to song or he doesn't, say, he doesn't say run to the Father is your true worship. He doesn't say the band in the key of A is your, your, your true worship. He doesn't say any of that. He says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, that, this, is your true worship. And then he says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, what is the pleasing, oh, come on, somebody, and what is the perfect will of God. So today, as we continue on in our series, This Side of Heaven, I want to speak to you from the subject, lane assignments and living sacrifices. Lane assignments and living sacrifices as we look at the issue of our identity, this side of heaven. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Jesus, we thank you for your word. It's a living word. It's active. It has the ability to transform us from the inside out. And so as your word has just said, God, I ask that in this moment that we have together today that you would transform our minds by the renewal that comes through your word. And I thank you for what it is that you're doing in this house today. It is special. And so we stand on holy ground right now asking you to move in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shouted. Amen. Everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. I've talked about this before, but I was a swimmer in high school, hence the thighs. Um, <laughs> Some of you wonder, I kid you not, I get more comments about my thighs. It's weird, guys, okay? It's weird. And it's, it's mainly from dudes, too. So, um, every service. It's so funny. Bro, how'd you get those thighs? I was blessed with them, so. So, I, 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 sw I swam in high school. I could have went collegiate with it, but I was living in Seattle at the time. And so, I decided that in my senior year, after being nominated team captain, and uh, after having been to state and districts and winning and doing all the things, I decided that I want to pursue music instead. My mom was so pumped um, about that idea. Hence the flannel today. I'm kicking it back old school Kurt Cobain status. But um, I, remember, I remember swimming. And uh, when I first got into swimming, uh, you would start out the year by talking about the requirements. And our coach would give us the requirements for the, for the, for the, to being on the team. And if you wanted to be successful at, at swimming, he said, these, these, these are the requirements. And what was interesting about these requirements is that it wasn't just within the framework of the two hours that we spent at practice after school. He said, I, wanted you, I want you to be swimming off-season, on-season, after-season. I want you to do workouts. I want you to swim. If you can do early morning swim, and afternoon swim, at, like he, he lined it all out. Come on, people in sports, you know what I'm talking about, like two days. That's what he wanted. And when I first got into swimming, I was like, no, that's stupid. Uh-uh. Absolutely not. This is crazy. 
I'm not that committed to it. I just wanted to swim. I wanted to be a part of a team. And so he would, he would line this out for us. But then there was this other thing that would happen. He would kind of double down on it. And, and I remember my, my specific stroke in swimming was the butterfly. I was really good at it and uh, kind of out the gate. And so at the beginning of the year, he would give lane assignments, not just for practice, but he'd give lane assignments to those of us who were participating in certain strokes. And then our coach, the assistant coach, would go and he would talk about, okay, if you're, the, if you're a butterflyers, you're gonna, be, you're gonna focus on that for the entire year. And part of the lane was assignment was the requirements that would go with our specific stroke. Which as a butterfly, like we had all kinds of exercises that we were gonna do, all, th- all kinds of things that we had. And I remember being so frustrated by this at first until I got into it more, and then I, and then I started winning. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and then when you start winning, right? And for a young dude at that time, like in high school, you start winning and so you're getting more attention and you're getting more popular and everything like that. So I was like, oh, maybe I should listen to what the coach says because one goes with two, all right? And so from a totally selfish perspective, that was what got me into it. But then as I started winning more and I started getting good at what I was doing, I started to realize there's something important that goes with living this way. Something was happening by way of making my life about swimming. This is what happened. I transitioned from a set of behaviors to an identity. I no longer saw the practice routine as something I had to do. I saw myself as a swimmer and therefore all of these other things became something that was naturally desired because of who I believed I was. The requirements were more than just a set of behaviors. They were rather, an, they were identifying actions saying who we were in light of this team, in light of swimming. And the Bible tells us that we are a part of Christ. And as a part of Christ, our identity is no longer found in the world, but it's found in him. See, identity is a big issue for us right now as a, as a culture, isn't it? Come on, would you, would you agree with me? And to be fair, it's always been, and and through the iterations of culture and society, it's taken on a different meaning and focus at at any given point of time. But now I believe, more than ever, identity is at the forefront of every aspect of our lives, socially and culturally speaking, right now. Who am I? Who are you? I'm gonna turn to your neighbor and just say, who are you? Who are you? Turn back to them and be like, I don't know, but who are you? (laughs) It is a question that is constantly being asked and seems like is really up for grabs right now. But I also believe that it's this question that if not answered correctly, hear me when I say this, and I, and I, I want to be very clear on this. If we do not answer this question correctly, it has devastating impact on the life of those asking this question. And to be clear, be clear, there is a correct answer to this question. It's not up for grabs as we like to think that it is. The Bible is clear that our identity is in fact not up for grabs and has been defined by the only one with the authority to define it for us. His name is God. Oh, come on, somebody. See, when we understand that God has authority, we understand that he gets to name us. He He gets to identify us. He says 
who you and I are. We sing, I run to the Father this morning, and many of us emotionally being impacted by that because there's this thing inside of us as sons and daughters that want to draw near unto God. Why? Because he said who you and I are. And many of us are living from broken and devastated identities, and I just want to remind us today, if you don't hear anything else out of this message, I want to remind you who you are in light of who he is. And I think it'll change the world, at least maybe our little local patch of world right here in Sandy, Utah. Author Dr. Leonard Sweet puts it like this, Christianity did not offer the world a new culture, but a new identity. An identity not found in culture, gender, class, age, ethnicity, geography, health, wealth, but an identity found in Christ incarnate in all cultures. Galatians chapter 3, 27 through to 29 tells us this. Watch what it says. This is for those of you who were baptized into Christ, into Christ, have been clothed with Christ. Someone say Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. So we have been given a new identity. Now, just to be clear, a little hermeneutic work. This is not to be interpreted as the abolishment of these classifiers, not from a natural perspective, but rather we have to understand them as a secondary identification to that of being identified in Christ. And therefore, all of those designators, hear me when I say this, must be in submission to Jesus. I don't know if you got that. Let me just say that one more time. Who you and I are naturally needs to be in submission to Jesus, the one who identifies us differently as we are in Christ. Does that make sense to everybody? Everything I am is therefore impacted by my identity in Christ. Now, here's the qualifier. I'm going to venture into some thoughts today that, that, we'll, that we're actually going to unpack in greater depth as we begin our new series, Defense Against the Dark Arts, because I know some questions are going to come out of this. So I just want to, I want to ask you, if you're new today, stick around for a while. If you're old today, keep sticking around. And if you're in between, stick around. See, who we are on this side of heaven is the question that we all ask at one point or another on our journey of life and faith. It's a question that has mass implications on each of our lives, and subsequently, here it is, how we live them out. Who we believe, someone needs to write this down today, who we believe we are, our identity, will define and impact every area of our life. There is not another question and answer that has such implications on the totality of who we are. Who you say that you are, who you believe that you are, will impact everything about your life. Come on, is anybody with me on that one? How I view myself, how I see myself will have impact on how I do life. And the thing that we must realize is that there are a lot of sources that we can go to and try to answer this question. My summation and therefore my submission to each of us today is that the Bible, being the authoritative word of God, is the only place that we will find the appropriate and truthful answer to this question. Not only that, but the Bible then gives us very pointed steps of application as to where it comes to what we do with our lives in light of this identity. 
Romans chapter 12, verses one through two, church, is answering the question, who am I? Paul was answering the question for the believers in Rome, and he's answering that question for us today. While not the whole, it is part of the picture, the whole picture of our identity, especially in reference to how we're supposed to live life and who we are this side of heaven. So Paul answers the question, who am I, with this right here. If you've ever asked the question before, write this question down if you're taking notes. Who am I? Just put an equals mark right next to it and say you're a living sacrifice. It's a great soundtrack (laughs) to go with that point. (laughs) I still want to try to rap right now, but I'm not going to. Nirvana, not Tupac. (laughs) I'm a living sacrifice. See, this side of heaven, this is where it's going to get difficult for some of us, is supposed to be an exercise in obedience and submission. See, submission language is used throughout the totality of Scripture as it points to the life that is exemplified by the belief that my identity is found in Christ and therefore I submit everything I am to Him. Paul is saying that if we are in Christ, identity language, when it comes to our lives, who I believe that I am will define what I do morally or otherwise as well. So identity is super important. In the parish household, it sounds like this. Parish, that's my last name, if you, don't, if you don't know who I am. In the parish household, it sounds like this. Parishes don't lie, it's not who we are. Okay? Parishes don't, maybe many of your houses will go this. Parishes do, so we have do's and don'ts that are in our house based upon what? An identity issue. And it sounds like a simple statement, but it's actually highly complex what we're doing. We're telling our kids that, and ourselves, and as a parish, our identity, in light of who we are, there's a behavioral and moral absolute that's produced and based upon that identity. All the church is getting quiet right now. See, that we wrestle with this stuff internally because here's what many of us want to do. We love the idea of Jesus. We don't like the implications of him. Am I talking to anybody in church today? And so this is the constant wrestle. Because I love the idea, oh, I run to the Father. I fall into grace. And we sing the song and it's beautiful. But in order to really grapple with that and understand it, I also have to come face to face with the other issue. And that is my identity. Who I am in light of Him. So Romans 12 is not the only place that talks about this issue. You find the assertion of this identity language and teaching all throughout scripture. Can we read a lot of Bible today? Is that all right? Because I just want you to know this is not my opinion. I'm just giving you the Bible. You got to work with it. First Peter chapter one, verses 13 to 21. And this is just my setup, okay? So I need you to get that, like we're doing a little bit of context. We're doing a little bit of theological study and and Bible study right now so that you kind of get the support system for this thought process. Is that all right with everybody? So 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21, this is what the Bible says. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. As obedient children, so shout obedient. There's like four of you. Let's try it again. You're like, 
Someone shout obedient. obedient. There you go. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be semi-obedient. Holy. In some of your conduct. All of your conduct. How many of you agree with this? This is a big scripture. For it's written, be holy because I'm holy. And if you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. Here it is. You are to conduct yourself a different way this side of heaven. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, was revealed in these last times for you. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Come on, somebody. That is such a beautiful scripture. Here's another one. Philippians chapter 3, 18 through to 21. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, this is Paul writing, that many live as enemies of, of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And they are focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to, here it is, subject everything unto himself. One more. Matthew chapter 5, 13 through to 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? Come on, someone shout salty. It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights up a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, right? That's where a lamp belongs. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. Come on, somebody. Right? That's old school stuff right there. It's probably the most theologically correct thing we will say all day long. <laughs> this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Are you all with me this morning? Come on, online, you with me this morning. Just chat in the section. Hey, say, what's up? I'm with you. These are just a few of the many verses that I call identity verses. And where many of us have gotten mixed up is that we look at our identity as a vocational or production-minded reality instead of something that is internalized as a sense of self that then drives and defines every aspect of our lives. Can I just tell you today, I'm not a pastor. I'm a child of God. This is, this is a vocation, for lack of better terms. This is a job, for lack of better terms. And it's a job. <laughs> Trust me. But that's not who I am. It's what I do. Come on, somebody. My sense of identity drives what I do for sure. So because I understand who I am in light of God, my doing becomes different. 
Because I identify as a child of God and the standards that he has for my life, I want to do it with integrity. Come on. I want to do it with character. I want to do it with consistency. I want to love my wife till death do us part. I want to raise my children in the way they should go so they shall not depart from it. With fear and trembling, I want to walk the narrow path of this life so that I can cross the finish line. Well done, good and faithful servant. But I don't do that because it's required of me. I do that because I'm trying to understand who I am in light of God. I have my lane assignment. I know that I'm going to be a butterfly swimmer. And because of that, I've got to do some things so that I can exemplify who I am in Christ. Does that make sense to everybody? See, Paul spends the first 11 chapters of Romans describing and highlighting God's compassion and love for each of us. Go read it. It's amazing. Oh, it's epic. You read it. I mean, at least how I read it is I read the first 11 chapters of Romans and I just go like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? Whoa! Who can save a sinner like me? There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's blockbuster status right there. The music comes, there is there no for. Condemnation in Christ Jesus. Dun, dun, dun. Starring Jason Parrish, sinner. (laughs) Starring Cosmic God, Redeemer. (laughs) Right? And then Thanos comes, because it'd be fun. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Don't add Thanos to the theology. Like, make a clear line, people. See, but I don't, I don't want to hype you up to the response. Because how many of you know hype goes away? Right? Raiders fans, hype goes away. Hype goes away. <laughs> See, our body is the vehicle of, ex- of the expression of our minds, our hearts, and our will. And we do with our body according to what we believe and who we believe that we are. So my identity informs this. This this weird thing that walks around. My identity infor- informs this. So I make decisions and I have thought processes. Come on, anybody with me right now? Identity is so important and we're struggling with it right now in spades. Paul is dealing with the issue then of dedication. If I understand who God is and that my identity is rooted in him and he says I'm a living sacrifice, there's dedication. I did a wedding yesterday for a beautiful couple here in our church who met here at our church. This is awesome. They met here. They dated here. They got engaged here. I mean, not physically in the building. They're like, that, what a horrible dating segment. I had the privilege of being able to marry them. I hope one day I'll have the privilege of dedicating their kids unto the Lord. 
So I was just really excited yesterday to be able to perform this wedding and officiate, not perform, officiate this wedding. But I was struck as I'm saying these words that I've said a million and one times to new couples who are venturing into the madness known as marriage. And once again, making vows of what? Dedication. I do. I do. I'm deciding right now to live my life for you for the remainder of it. I want you to think about this for a second. We are willing, regardless of what the statistics are on divorce and all these other things, I just want you to think about this conceptually for a second. We are willing to stand before a fallible human being and declare them as somebody that I'm going to live my life for and with for the totality of my vapor, my cloud, yet we struggle with it when it comes to the one who authored our life itself. And I don't know about you, but it's a little backwards. She doesn't make my identity. She doesn't author my identity. And I don't do it for her either. God does. And here's the crazy part. Just a little free marriage advice. Your marriage is better when she's not your identity and he's not your identity. When your identity is found in him and then it changes how you do things and you bring that into marriage, that's a recipe for success. Because I'm not trying to do something to produce something. I am who I am in light of him and therefore my marriage is the product of my identity in him. This is not a marriage seminar, but there you go. Okay. So with just a few minutes left, I'm gonna buzz through these things, even though <laughs> I'm not gonna leave us cliffhanging this, this week, I promise you. There's a lot of notes here. <laughs> Good night. Okay, here's the first truth that I need us to grab a hold of today. In, li- in light of all this, in light of this identity conversation and dedication, uh, there's, there's three areas. If an identity is shaped by God, there's three areas that we're gonna submit to him, okay? That's what I wanna walk through really quickly. Every shot, number one. Here's the first area. An identity shaped by God causes us to surrender our body. Romans 6, one through 13. I'm gonna read all the verses. I'm gonna buzz through them. Oh, it's gonna get fast. Okay, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. That's... Where'd it go? Absolutely not. (laughs) I want you to see that exclamation point because I didn't shout it out, but there it is right there. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death and therefore were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we still also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too 
Many of us haven't heard this scripture before. So you too, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so therefore, in light of all of that, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Some of us don't know how to handle You're like, I don't know how to handle this one. <laughs> what do I do? I want to say this. Write this down. I'm going to go slow. Personal autonomy does not exist in the kingdom of God. Because we are, in fact, not our own. It is a spiritual kingdom to which he is both Lord and King. The kingdom of God is not a republic, it's not a democracy. It's not socialist or communist or any other. I'm not making political commentary, so everybody chill out. I'm just using all the political doors that we can walk through. I want us to understand this because so many times we try to draft in our cultural nuance into something that doesn't accept it. The kingdom of God is exactly that, a kingdom. He rules, he reigns. Full stop. Come on, somebody. So how you approach a king is very different. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through to 20, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? What? Who is in you whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. And here, here's the thing. Four of us will clap this entire time because this is the hard stuff. So many of these verses have to do with sexual conduct because our sexual ethic is the greatest arena to which we try to exercise autonomous and independent philosophy and ideology rather than allowing our theology and doctrine to define my sexual ethic. Okay, the first four rows are with me. We gotta walk through this, this is important. Every other ethic is defined, and for many of us we're good with it, except when we get to this one. Have you noticed that the greatest amount of rebellion that we love to exercise comes down to our sexual ethic? And that's why he blanket statements, sexual immorality. That's why when I come to Christ and my identity is rooted in him, I offer my body. Let's put it this way. Someone said it like this. If you want the life of Jesus, you must take on the lifestyle of Jesus. But see, many of us want the idea of Jesus, not the identity of Jesus. As Christ followers, our action. For those of us who call ourselves in Christ, as Christ followers in here, that's who I'm talking to right now. For those of us who are spectating and trying to figure it out and doubters and, and so on and so forth, great, I'm glad you're here, you can hear. My job as the pastor of this church is to preach Bible. So that's what I'm preaching today, okay? That's why there's so much scripture. Oh, shoot, I'm out of time. First John, chapter two. Some of you are like, phew. First John two, 
15 through to 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. See, when we offer the faculties of who we are unto God by way of what I know about my identity in him, it changes my life. Okay, we're gonna get into this later on in, in the series because some of us are railing in our minds right now like, okay, but I'm, I'm an imperfect person. I know, we say that all the time. It's a blanket statement for being able to say, I wanna do what I wanna do and have God's grace. Okay, so we're gonna get tripped up on this one later on. I, I'm speaking plain because some of us like, I have a lot of questions like, when are you just gonna say what needs to, like, when are you gonna say some of these things? I'm saying some of these things. Because if we read all these scriptures, I just need us to know the Bible is pretty, pretty like right there with it. Like this is how, this is what I have for you. So I offer my body as a living sacrifice. Come on, somebody. And I'm simply saying like now, while I struggle, while I have desire, oh, we all have desires, for sure. I'm not superhuman, you're not superhuman. We are imperfect, but that should never be an excuse to not live in accordance with the identity that I have in Jesus. Number two, an identity shaped by God causes us to surrender our mind. Ephesians chapter four, 17 through to 24, therefore I say and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. They're darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them because of the hardness of their hearts. So Paul's gonna walk through all of this stuff and he's gonna say, listen, you need to be renewed, verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. The word transform literally means metamorphosis. Come on, somebody. It's to become totally new in my mind. There's so much. Oh, there's so much here. Let me just say this. You cannot make your body do what your mind is unwilling to do. So this is Colossians 3 when, when Paul's gonna say, you need, to, you need to seek the things that are above. You need to put your mind on things that are above. You need to look unto Jesus. And here's what I wanna say to some of us today because I'm running out of time on this point. Some of us need to make up our mind today. So you didn't think, you're, here we are, this side of heaven, we're now seven weeks into this series, and we've been tiptoeing up to this point. We've built a lot of context. We're here today. If you're new with us, if you're a guest with us, this message is seven weeks in the making. So please understand that. Don't hear this as, 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 in a different way than what this message is. Go back and listen to all of them so that you can understand the context of this message. But some of us need to make up our mind today. There is no such thing as a middle-of-the-road devotion. I don't give my wife that kind of devotion. I didn't say unto her, yes, kind of, sort of. I do, asterisk. Could you imagine if we were at that wedding yesterday and I stood before them and so-and-so person, so-and-so person, do you take? Yes, kind of. I promise to be halfway devoted until it's convenient for me to do otherwise. No, we don't say that to the other person. I take devotion seriously. Come on. 
Hopefully you do too. So when it comes to God, kind of, sort of doesn't work anymore. And I know for some of us, you're, not, you're, you're, gonna, you're really tempted to not come back next week. Come back next week, please. This is a journey, but I've, gotta, I've just got to once again stand on this word. Because I'm telling you, over the past two years as a pastor, I've watched some things. And I've been privy to some people's lives. And I've had lots of conversations and lots of understandings. That's what's going on. And if we would just, in this moment, in this section of time, may history look back on the church and realize that we decided to follow Jesus. Number three, here's the last one. An identity shaped by God causes us to surrender our will. An identity shaped by God causes us to surrender our will. Matthew chapter 26, I want you to see this, this is powerful. 36 to 39. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, I'm deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little further, he fell face down and prayed, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Now in light of what I just said, an identity shaped by God causes us to surrender our will. Watch what happens. Yet not as I will, but as you will. This is important because Jesus is assessing being fully God and fully man that will, mine, can get in the way of will, his. So if I understand that my identity is in Christ, the steps that I begin to take through that journey of faith, yes, not in perfection for sure. I understand that. We get that. But I think many of us reject this type of teaching in the name of lack of perfection because the hard work in these three points. So I'll make the qualifier. Yes, I understand that we're not perfect, but let's get over to the business of submitting our bodies, submitting our minds, and submitting our will. It's in that place, in light of who he is, I now feel in my spirit that that's the journey I want to go on. The active daily task of I get up, God, today, I'm submitting my body to you. This is yours. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. You live in me. I'm connected to a greater body. So what I do matters. My body impacts other people. And so therefore today, where sin can reign in these mortal parts, this side of heaven I submit it to you. May my hands, may my mouth, may my eyes, may my mind bring glory unto you. So I submit my body, but then I submit my mind because how many of you would agree with me? This is a wild wonderland. So today, God, I submit my mind to you. The thoughts that I know pop in and out all the time, thoughts of grandeur, thoughts that I'm awesome, not humble thoughts, prideful thoughts, ego thoughts, dirty thoughts, bad thoughts, thoughts of destruction, thoughts that can really mess with me and mess with others. I submit that to you today. I am not perfect, but once again, I stand before you today, submitted. And then I submit my will. 
the thing that drives all of it. And so today I do not do what I wanna do. I do what you have for me. Nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. And here's our prayer. Lord, this is what I'm praying right now. This is another excerpt from my journal. Lord, in and through me today, may your will be done above all else. May I be ever present and aware of me as I desire to follow you. Today, I once again surrender my will to you. Will you increase in me as I decrease so that my life will be a living sacrifice and a testament to your goodness and lavish love. In Jesus' name.